I hate you sometimes. No, you don't. Hello and welcome. That's it. That's the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over this already. <laughs> Go. Okay. Hello and welcome to Dying to Know, the podcast. My name is Lindsay. This is my husband, Jimmy. Hi. These intros are always awkward, so let's just get into it. You, It's because you make them awkward. I'm awkward. Fair enough. What do you expect? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, before we before we dive oh, too yeah, we far should... in, uh, the last two episodes, we apparently had no clue what number we were on. Yeah, it was... Uh... We thought they were episodes 39 and 40. Which was my mistake. I'm the one that was like, oh, this is episode... 39. They were actually episodes 41 and 42. Yes. So, <laughs> so. to confirm, this is episode 43. <laughs> Are you sure? No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It is. It's 43. Okay. Uh, I don't have a working title. So... so... All I ask. I do all the editing. <laughs> I do all the uploading. You had one job. All I ask. Pick a topic. Research it. Give me a title. I will come up with the description after listening to you talk about it. <laughs> come up with a title. It's not that easy. Just, okay. Who are we talking about? All right. So today we are going to be discussing Amelia Elizabeth Dyer. Okay. D-Y-E-R. Uh, who was a uh, probably the most prolific baby farm murderer of Victorian England. I don't even know what a baby farm is. Uh, I'm assuming I'll get into it. Okay. I'll, I, obviously, I I describe like, it like I can kind of piece together in my head by the what name. a baby farmer is. Uh, did you know that babies grow from the ground like potatoes? Who <laughs> <laughs> you want my last nerve today? <laughs> uh. So, Amelia was tried and hanged for one murder specifically, but there is little doubt that she was responsible for many more similar deaths, uh, possibly upwards of 400 or more. Wait, so they think she's, they have good reason to believe she's been connected to 400 deaths, but they got her for one. Yes. Crack detective work. I'm talking about Victorian England here. And you have to have evidence that, like... They have to have... There's some reason they think she did 400. Well, yeah, but they only had the evidence to convict her of one. Suspicious. And this is over a period of perhaps 20 years, so... Suspicious. <laughs> Alright, so a little bit of background. Uh, unlike many of her generation, Amelia Dyer was not the product of uh, poverty. So okay. Victorian England, it's there's usually two sides of the spectrum. You're rich either and poor. Super, super rich or super, super poor. There really was not no much of a middle class. Okay. Uh, she was born the youngest of five children <clears throat> with three brothers and a sister uh, in the small village of Pyle Marsh, just east of Bristol. Uh, she's the daughter of a master shoemaker named Samuel Hobley. Okay. Uh, she learned to read and write and developed a love of literature and poetry. However, her somewhat privileged childhood was marred by the mental illness of her mother, which was caused by typhus. Okay. 
not to be confused with typhoid fever. They are two different diseases. Okay. I didn't know that. Until I, I thought they up. were the same thing. Uh, typhoid fever, the, the word typhoid actually means like typhus. So okay. it's because it presents similar uh, symptoms, but they are two completely different diseases. Um, so I was curious about that because I thought typhus was just like a physical illness. I didn't think it caused mental illness. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess any, any type of fever yes. can cause, because it can, you know, your brain's essentially cooking. Exactly. So uh, some symptoms of typhus can be sensitivity to light, delirium, and sometimes coma. Um, particularly, delirium can cause agitation, fluctuations in mood, confusion, disruptions in sleep cycles, and hallucinations. Okay. Uh, so I'm thinking that's what her mother probably dealt with. <clears throat> and obviously you have a young impressionable child. Uh, witnessing these, uh, her mother tended to have violent fits, and Amelia was obliged to care for her until her mother died uh, in 1848. So, Okay. Okay. I don't think I went over when Amelia was born, which was in 1838. Okay. Great year. <clears throat> huh? Just be a smile. I was like, great year. <laughs> So basically, she witnesses her mom deteriorate and die by the time she's 10. Uh, researchers would later comment on the effect this had on Amelia and also what it would teach Amelia about the signs exhibited by those who appear to lose their mind through illness. Okay. Okay. Uh, after her mother's death, Amelia lived with an aunt in Bristol for a while before serving an apprenticeship with a corset maker. Her dad died in... Uh, 1859 just after she was so she's what 21 yeah yeah uh her eldest brother thomas inherited the family shoe business and in 1861 at the age of 24 amelia uh, became permanently estranged from at least one of her brothers probably both though uh and moved into lodgings in Tr in trinity street bristol there she married a man named george thomas uh Keep in mind, she's 24. George is 59. That's not super uncommon for this time period, though. Mm. Mm. And they both lied about their ages on the marriage certificate to reduce the age gap. So it couldn't have been that socially acceptable. You're talking Victorian England. Ingr Victoria England. England. <laughs> Victoria Victorian England. Like, the age age gaps were crazy until like the early 1900s really mm -hmm. uh so george deducted 11 years from his age and amelia added six years to her age uh i guess this actually ended up causing some confusion when like her story hit the papers because yeah. people went by that age went by those ages even though they were incorrect a couple of years after marrying George Thomas, she trained as a nurse, which was, for the time, a somewhat grueling job, uh, but it was still seen as a respectable occupation, and it enabled her to acquire useful skills. From contact with a midwife named Ellen Dane, she learned of an easier way to earn a living, uh, using her home to provide lodgings to young women who had conceived illegitimately and then farming off the babies for adoption or allowing them to die of neglect and malnutrition. 
Okay. <clears throat> so we're kind of gonna 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 get into the details of baby farming here, which okay. apparently was super common. So unmarried mothers of Victorian England often struggled to gain an income, especially since the 1834 Poor Law Amendment Act, which removed any financial obligation from the fathers of illegitimate children. Okay, so basically, if it's a the kid's a bastard, the the father, father has no obligation to pay for to, to pay for anything. Uh, so this is on top of this is that on top of bringing up children in a society where uh, being a single parent, especially with a child that was born out of wedlock, was highly stigmatized. Yeah. Um, this led to the practice of baby farming, in which individuals acted as adoption or fostering agents. And in return, uh, sorry, this was in return for regular payments or a single upfront pay- upfront fee from the baby's mothers. So basically it was, we'll take your kid, you pay us to take your kid. Yes. Okay. Uh, many businesses were set up to take in these young women and care for them until they gave birth. The mothers subsequently left their unwanted babies to be looked after as nurse children, quote unquote. Uh, The predicament of the parents involved was often exploited for financial gain. Surprise, surprise. If a baby had well-off parents who were simply anxious to keep the birth a secret, uh, the single fee might be as much as 80 pounds, which I did some calculations. So 80 pounds, I I rounded it to 1862 here. That's roughly the date that we left off on. Uh, so 80 pounds in 1862 would be equivalent to a, a bit over $13,000 in U.S. dollars today. Okay. So. It's a good chunk of change. Yeah. Especially for not as taking much a as, child off your hands. I know, but not as much as I thought. I actually expect it to be a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, another 50 pounds, so obviously a little bit less might be negotiated if the father of the child specifically wanted to hush up his involvement. So they would get like the 80 pounds for taking the child and then an additional 50 to make sure that nobody knew the yeah. father th- that was involved. Yeah, because then it was he had a kid out of wedlock. and Exactly. Uh, however, it was more common for these expectant young women whose, quote, immorality... Uh, even precluded acceptance at that time into workhouses to be impoverished. Uh, such women would be charged about five pounds, which is still over eight hundred dollars. Yeah, it's still a good amount in today's money. So we're talking impoverished young women who can't really afford. Let me guess. Who can't get a job hey, you when can they have work a baby? Off your debt. Huh? Did they make them like work no. off their debt? No. Oh. If you didn't have the money, they didn't take your kid. Oh, okay. Because I've heard, like, stories of places like this where it was, like, the women come and stay while they're pregnant, and they work while they're pregnant, like, cleaning the place or growing food or It might cooking. have been a situation like that for a little while. Uh, the, the setup that Amelia had didn't involve caring okay. for the mothers while they were pregnant. It was essentially she would take the child after... It was born. It was already born. Okay. Um, unscrupulous carers resorted to starving the farmed out babies, both to save money and even to hasten death. 
So essentially, I don't have to pay for feeding you, and then eventually you die, and I don't have to worry about it anyway. Yeah, they get the money for taking the kid, and then... Uh, noisy and demanding or demanding babies could be sedated with easily available alcohol or opiates. Uh, or both at the same time, occasionally. Godfrey's cordial, which was more commonly known as Mother's Friend, uh, was a syrup containing opium and was a popular choice, uh, but there were several other similar preparations. Many children died as a result of such dubious practices. Um, a doctor who uh, was investigating baby farming for the Privy Council at the time said that opium killed far more infants through starvation than directly through overdose. Because, okay, because it, yeah, it, like, cre cranks up their metabolism, right? No. Uh, well, uh, yes, but it also subdues hunger pangs. Mm, so okay. they don't feel hungry. So they just don't eat? They just, so they don't cry, they don't eat, you don't obviously have to pay attention to them, and then eventually they slowly starve to death. Gotcha. Uh, so... He noted how children were kept in a state of continued narcotism, uh, would thereby be disinclined for food and be, says, but perfect, but imperfectly nourished. Okay. Basically, they starved. Yeah. That's uh, a weird way to say it. Yeah. Death from severe malnutrition would result, but the coroner was likely to record the death as a few different things. Uh, there was typically debility from birth. Uh, lack of breast milk or simply starvation. Now, so they wouldn't th note specifically any opiate use. Is that because they had no way of knowing, or is that because they were like being paid off to hush it up? I would assume they. I, I doubt they were being paid off. It was probably that you might be calling in a less than upstanding coroner that's what and that's they're what not gonna look too hard into it okay i was just wondering if this was like shady shit or if it was okay it might have also just been that they just didn't care like the baby died it obviously died of nutrient of like which was probably common at the time among yeah. the poor and everything like that uh mothers who chose to reclaim or simply check on the welfare of their children would often often encounter difficulties uh, but some would simply be too frightened or ashamed to tell to tell the police about any suspected wrongdoing even the authorities often had problems tracing any children that were that were reported missing <clears throat> because of course you get a bunch of kids taken in by these you know nurses yeah. And they go missing. It's hard to track down exactly which kid is which or where they might have gone or whatever. So <clears throat> this is essentially the world that opened up to Amelia uh, or that was opened up to Amelia by Ellen Danes. <clears throat> okay. I feel like my voice is going. You're okay. Uh, Amelia had had to leave nursing with when she gave birth to her own daughter, uh, Ellen Thomas. But I think she ended up having two daughters because there's another daughter mentioned later named Polly. Okay. Uh, but it only no notes the one here. Uh, and then in 1869, the elderly George Thomas died, and so Amelia needed an income. Okay. 
So, uh, Amelia was apparently keen to make money from baby farming, and alongside taking in expectant women, she would advertise to nurse and adopt a baby in return for a substantial one-off payment and adequate clothing for the child. In her advertisements and meeting with clients, she assured them that she was respectable, married, and that she would provide a safe and loving home for the child. None of those three true. <laughs> no. She ain't married anymore because she's dead. True. I'm assuming by the title, you tell me she was like a notorious baby farmer. She ain't respectable. And the babies ain't going to be well thought, caught, cared after. So yeah, three strikes you out. Uh, at some point in her baby farming career, Amelia was prepared to forego the expense and inconvenience of letting the child die through neglect and starvation. The inconvenience. Soon after the receipt of each child, she murdered them, thus allowing her to pocket most or all of the entire fee. For some time, Dyer eluded the resulting interest of police. She was eventually caught in 1879 after a doctor was suspicious about the number of child deaths that he had been called to certify in Dyer's care. However, instead of being convicted of murder or manslaughter, she was sentenced to six, month, six months hard labor for neglect. The experience allegedly almost destroyed her mentally, though others have expressed in incredulity at the leniency of the sentence when compared to those handed out for lesser crimes at, at the time. Yeah, I mean, so what they're saying is they don't, at that point when she was convicted, it wasn't, she killed these babies, it was just that she neglected, she neglected them until them. they died. Which One, unfortunately was actually a common for baby way to shit. get rid of a child was you essentially... You, you, because you didn't directly kill the kid, it didn't count as murder. Hmm. Um, like, so if the, if the child died of starvation, it was because of neglect. It wasn't because see, you chose to not. I could see the that kid. if it was like one kid. Yeah. Two kids. Hell, even up to three, I'd be like, okay, maybe she's just a shitty mom. But if she's got like. This doctor's like, this is the 72nd time I've come out to this bitch's house. <laughs> like, yeah. connect the fucking dots. Uh, upon release, she attempted to resume her nursing career, and she had spells in mental hospitals due to her alleged mental instability and suicidal tendencies. However, these always coincided with times when it was convenient for her to disappear. Uh, being a former asylum nurse... Amelia knew how to behave to ensure a relatively comfortable existence as an asylum inmate. Dyer appears to have begun abusing alcohol and opium-based products early into her killing career. Uh, her mental instability could have been related to her substance abuse, but again, all of her instances going into asylums, co like I said, coincided mm -hmm. with it being convenient for her to... Yeah, she knew how to game the system. Yes. In 1890, Dyer cared for the illegitimate baby of a governess. When she, when the governess returned to visit the child, she was immediately suspicious and stripped the baby of its clothing to see if a birthmark was present on one of its hips. It wasn't, and prolonged suspicions by the authorities led to Dyer having or feigning a breakdown. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're fine. A governess. Like, yes. I, I am very... 
a government. Sh- shitty when it comes to this. I'm trying to figure out like how important a, she is. I've read a lot of cheesy romance novels, yeah. so I know exactly what a governess is. A governess is essentially, uh, typically, a young woman who was hired by a wealthier family to uh, care for and educate their children. So they would typically okay. know a minimal range of subjects like history. Okay. writing she was essentially like a live-in nanny yes okay. exactly um okay so... and so she gave up her kid this lady took her mm-hmm. or took the kid the kid had a birthmark then when she came back to see the kid he's like this is your child but there was and no she's birthmark. like mm, no it's not and she okay goes presumably to find the birthmark. there's no birthmark. because the original kid is already gone yes okay and amelia is trying to pass off this child as the woman's uh, Dyer at one point drank, so so she gets caught with this. The governor calls the authorities because where the fuck is her child? Uh, and to kind of get out of it, Amelia fakes a breakdown. Okay. But at this point, she drinks two bottles of laudanum, uh, which is a super strong opiate for the time. Uh, and it and this isn't a serious suicide attempt, but her long-term abuse of opiates had built up her tolerance to opium products in general, so she ended up surviving. Okay. Uh, so, like, it, a normal person would have taken that and dropped dead, but because yes. she'd been using it for so long. Okay. Yeah. Uh, inevitably, she returned to baby farming and murder. Dyer realized... I thought you laughed. <laughs> no, I brushed my mic. That was my bad. Dyer realized the folly of involving doctors to issue death certificates and began disposing of the bodies herself. Uh, The precarious nature and extent of her activities again prompted undesirable attention, and she was alert. At this point, she was learning to become alert to the attentions of police. So... She knew when police were starting to look into her. Yes. Okay. Uh, And of parents seeking to reclaim their children. Okay. Uh, she and her family. Was that common? What? For this. The parents coming to reseek? Because I always It took wasn't the... super common. Okay. But there I... were people that were like in financial hardship at the time. But then when they got back on their feet, they would try to come uh, back for the child. See, because I essentially, took... the way this was advertised was as a sort of foster agency. See, I took this as like all the people using this were people who were like, I don't want this kid. Not necessarily. Okay. Um. And, that makes sense. And the I'll I'll get into it later, but uh, the one murder that she is convicted of is a woman who had her child, couldn't afford to keep her at the time, and her plan was always to go back, get back for her, her kid. Child. Okay. So, um, I lost my place. Sorry. Oh, uh, so. Amelia and her family, which I assume is the two daughters at this point, uh, frequently relocated to different towns and cities to escape suspicion, regain anonymity, and to acquire new business. Uh, Over the years, Dyer used a succession of aliases, so she constantly went by different names. Okay. In 1893, Dyer was discharged from her final committal at Wells Mental Asylum. Unlike previous quote-unquote breakdowns this had been the most disagreeable experience and she never entered another asylum okay so essentially she like she goes into the asylum because she's trying to evade police this time it goes 
pretty badly for her at the asylum, and she's just like, I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. (laughs) Two years later, Dyer moved to Caversham, Berkshire, uh, accompanied by an unsuspecting associate named Jane Smith, but who went by Granny. Okay. Like, that's just what people called her. She's an older woman, uh, whom Amelia had recruited from a brief spell in a workhouse, and Amelia's daughter and son-in-law. Yeah, it's a different different daughter there. Uh, this is Polly. So the, I, the way I assume is that the one that was mentioned was her first daughter. Yes. Which I assume got the fuck out as soon as she was old. Oh, enough, without a doubt. From, from this point on, it's only Polly that's referenced. But okay. it's clearly a different name than Ellen at the top. Yeah. No, no, without a doubt. Uh, so she's working with her daughter, her son-in-law, and this older Jane Smith okay. lady. Uh, this was followed by a move to Kensington Road, Reading in Berkshire later the same year. Uh, Smith, which was the older woman, uh, was persuaded by Amelia to be referred to as mother in front of innocent women handing over their children. This was an effort to present a caring mother-daughter image. So she's essentially hired this woman to act as her mother to make it seem like they're just... Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, she's like, oh, I'm taking care of my mom. and Basically. Yeah. Uh, okay. So in January of 1896, Evelina Marmon, a popular 25-year-old barmaid, gave birth to an illegitimate daughter, Doris, in a boarding house in Cheltenham. I don't know where that is. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to like explain it. <laughs> no, no, I included it, but I, I don't know where it is. She quickly sought offers of adoption and placed an advertisement in the miscellaneous section of the Bristol Times and Mirror newspaper. It simply read, Wanted respectable, respectable woman to take young child. Okay. Marmon intended to go back to work and hopefully and hoped to eventually reclaim her child. Coincidentally, next to her own was an advertisement reading, Married couple with no family would adopt healthy child. Nice country home. Terms, 10 pounds. Okay. Marmon responded to uh, the person who placed the ad, which was under a name Mrs. Harding. And a few days later, she re- received a reply from Amelia Dyer. Uh, <clears throat> Mrs. Harding, quote, wrote that I should be glad to have a dear little baby girl, one I could bring up and call my own. We are plain, homely people in fairly good circumstances. I don't want a child for money's sake, but for company and home comfort. Myself and my husband are dearly fond of children. I have no child of my own. A child with me will have a good home and a mother's love. Okay. Okay. Evelina Marmon wanted to pay a more affordable weekly fee to the care- for the care of her daughter, but Mrs. Harding insisted on being given the one-off payment in advance. Marmon was in desperate straits, so she reluctantly agreed to pay the £10, and a week later, Mrs. Harding arrived in Cheltenham to take the child. Uh, Marmon was apparently surprised by Dyer's advanced age and stocky appearance, but Dyer seemed affectionate towards Doris, the child. Okay. Uh, Evelina handed over her daughter a cardboard box of clothes and the 10 pounds. Still distressed at having to give up 
her kid having to give up care for her daughter, Evelina accompanied Dyer to the train station and then on to Gloucester. She returned after that she returned to her lodgings, quote, a broken woman. Yeah, she was devastated she had to give up her kid. Exactly. The, obviously shown by the fact that she rode the train to the next stop with this woman and her daughter. Uh, a few days later, she received a letter from Mrs. Harding saying all was well. Marmon wrote back, but after that received no reply. Dyer did not, in fact, travel back to Reading as she had told Marmon. She went instead to 76 Mayo Road in Willesden, London, where her 23-year-old daughter Polly was staying. There, Dyer found some white edging tape, which is used in dressmaking, okay. wound it twice around the baby's neck, and tied a knot. Death would not have been immediate. Yeah, she basically slowly strangled. Amelia later admitted, I used to like to watch them with the tape around their neck, but it was soon all over with them. So she literally liked to watch these children suffocate to death. You know, that does not surprise me. Both women allegedly helped, so her and her daughter, allegedly helped to wrap the body in a napkin, uh, which is not like a paper napkin like we have today. Okay. <laughs> it's like a cloth. A cloth. Like at fancy restaurants. Yes. <laughs> uh, they kept some of the clothes Marmon had packed. The rest was destined for the pawnbroker. Uh, Dyer paid the rent to the unwitting landlady, essentially the lady that owned where they were staying where they but were, had yeah. no idea what was going on it was just kind of like hey they're using my space but mm -hmm. no questions asked and she gave the landlady a pair of child's boots as a present for her little girl so the landlady had a child and she was okay gifting all the extra shit yep uh the following day wednesday april 1st of 1896 another child named harry simmons was also taken to Mayo Road. However, with no spare white edging tape available, the length around Doris's corpse was removed and used to strangle the 13-month-old boy. Yeah. Okay. On April 2nd, both bodies were stacked into a carpet bag along with bricks for added weight. Uh, Dyer then headed for Reading, and at a secluded spot she knew... Uh, I don't know what that word is. I definitely copied and pasted that, but I don't know what that word is. <laughs> a weir? W-E-I-R. Google it for me. It's an enclosure of stakes set in a stream to trap fish. Oh, okay. At a secluded spot she knew well near a weir at or, Caversham or Lock. Or think of it like a dam. Uh, okay. It can be used as different things. A low uh, dam built across the river to raise the level of water upstream and regulators flow. Or it could be used for fish traps. Okay. She forced the carpet bag through railings into the River Thames. Okay. So that makes sense. <sighs> Unknown to Dyer, on March 30th, 1896, so two days before she dumps these bodies, a package was found uh, was pulled from the River Thames in Reading by a bargeman. It contained the body of a baby girl, later identified as Helena Fry. In the small detective force available to Reading Borough Police, headed by Chief Constable George Tuesley, a Detective Constable Anderson made a crucial 
a crucial breakthrough. <laughs> crucial. You okay? Yeah. I'm having a hard time talking today. Uh, as well as finding a label from Temple Mead Station, Bristol, he used microscopic analysis of the wrapping paper and deciphered a faintly legible name, Mrs. Thomas, and an address. The address was the Where? 76 okay. Mayo Road. Okay. Uh, so this evidence was enough to lead police directly to Amelia Dyer, but they still had no strong evidence to connect her directly with a serious crime. So it's just that the address was on the thing, but they couldn't prove that she was the one that wrapped the child yeah. up and did that. Additional evidence they gleaned from witnesses and information obtained from Bristol police only served to increase their concerns. And, uh, what was that word again? Detective Constable Anderson with Sergeant James, uh, placed Dyer's home under surveillance. Subsequent intelligence had told them that Dyer would run away essentially if she became at all suspicious. Yeah. Cause she, at this point she's so paranoid of the fucking cops because like earlier you mentioned, she's basically caught on to them watching her. Yes. Uh, the officers decided to use a young woman as a decoy, hoping she would be able to secure a meeting with Dyer to discuss her services. Uh, there is some debate on if the woman was already planning to go to Dyer and they just, Okay. Like, we're like, work with us. Or if it was someone that they specifically hired to try to talk to Dyer. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, it transpired that Dyer was expecting her new client, aka the decoy, to call or to, you know, come and see her. But instead, she found detectives waiting on her doorstep. On April 3rd, police raided her home. They were apparently struck by the immediate stench of human decomposition. Ah. Uh-huh. Although no human remains were found. Uh, and this okay. is partially because she would essentially hang on to the bodies until they smelled so bad that, that she, she would have, have to get, to get rid, rid of them. Of them. Um, there was, however, plenty of other related evidence, including the white edging tape, telegrams regarding adoption arrangements, pawn tickets for children's clothing, receipts for advertisements, and letters from mothers inquiring about the well-being of their children. The police calculated that in the previous few months alone, at least 20 children had been placed in the care of, quote, Mrs. Thomas, which was now revealed to be Amelia Dyer. It also appeared that she was about to move home again, this time to Somerset. Uh, th this rate of murder has led to some estimates that Mrs. Dyer may, over the course of decades, have killed over 400 babies and children, making her one of the most prolific murderers ever, as well as the most prolific murderess ever. So essentially among men and women. Yeah. Uh, Helena Fry, the baby removed from the River Thames on March 30th, had been handed over to Dyer at Temple Mead Station on March 5th. That same evening, she arrived home carrying only a brown paper parcel. She hid the package in the house, but after three weeks, the odor of decomposition prompted her to dump the dead baby in the river. As it was not weighted adequately, it was easily spotted. So, essentially because she just didn't weigh it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just floated. Amelia Dyer was arrested on April 4th and charged with murder. Her son-in-law, Arthur Palmer... Arthur Palmer? Why was that so difficult to say? I don't know. Was Arthur charged... <laughs> was charged as an accessory. 
During April, the Thames was dragged, and six more bodies were discovered, including Doris Marmon and Harry Simmons, Dyer's last known victims. Uh, each baby had been strangled with white tape, which she later told police was how you could tell it was one of mine. <laughs> Eleven days after handing her daughter to Dyer, Evelina Marmon, whose name had emerged in items kept by Dyer, identified her daughter's remains. Okay. Like, that's so fucking sad. Yeah. At the inquest into the deaths in early May, no evidence was found that Polly or Arthur uh, had acted as Dyer's accomplices. Arthur was later discharged as the result of a confession written by Amelia Dyer. Uh, So I I have that here. Okay. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Sir, will you kindly grant me the favor of presenting this to the magistrates on Saturday, Saturday the 18th instant... I have made this statement out, for I may not have the opportunity that I must relieve my mind. I do know, and my and I feel my days are numbered on this earth, but I do feel it is an awful thing drawing innocent people into trouble. I do know I shall have to answer before my Maker in heaven for the awful crimes I have committed. But as God Almighty is my judge in heaven... There's, there's so many grammatical errors. I'm struggling to read this. <laughs> uh, on hearth... <laughs> Neither my daughter Marianne Palmer nor her husband. Okay, it says his name is Arthur, but she wrote his name in here as Alfred. <laughs> okay, nor her husband Alfred Ernest Palmer. I do solemnly declare neither of them had anything at all to do with it. They never knew I contemplated doing such a wicked thing until it was too late. I am speaking the truth and nothing but the truth as i hope to be given i myself and i alone must stand before my maker in heaven to give an answer for it for it all witness my hand amelia dyer that was that was a mess yeah all over the place and it's all just like run on there's no i mean it doesn't surprise you she's been crazy bitch this whole episode i guess but she was taught to read and write like you know what I mean? Like she she had she had an education. We're also talking about someone who drank so much opiate shit that she tried to kill herself mm. with it, and it probably just gave her a little bit of a buzz. Fair enough. Uh, on March, sorry, on May twenty second, eighteen ninety six. So same year, a little over a month since okay. everything started going down. Amelia Dyer appeared at the Old Bailey and pleaded guilty to one murder that of Doris Marmon. Her family and associates testified at her trial that they had been growing suspicious and uneasy about her activities, and it emerged that Dyer had narrowly escaped discovery on several occasions. Evidence from a man who had seen and spoken to Dyer when she had disposed of the two bodies at the Caver- at Caversham Lock also proved significant. So she dumped those two ba- the, the two last victims Mm-hmm. And this guy saw her and spoke to her, like, either as she was doing it or immediately after. I, mean, she I would say it, probably, like, like, right the fuck after. Uh, her daughter had also given graphic evidence that ensured Amelia Dyer's conviction. The only defense Dyer offered was insanity. She had been twice committed to asylum I was gonna in say, Bristol. That was going to be her defense because yeah. she's, and I guarantee, like... Earlier, you mentioned she would always, whenever she wanted to spear, she would, like, 
get herself checked into an asylum or something like that. Mm-hmm. She was building it up to yeah. where if she ever did get caught, she'd be like, I'm crazy. Exactly. Uh, however, the prosecution argued successfully that her exhibitions of mental instability had been a ploy to avoid suspicion. Both committals were said to have coincided with times when Dyer was concerned her crimes might have been exposed. So they basically said, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> yes. Well, they called her out. It took the jury only four and a half minutes to find <laughs> her guilty. Damn. <laughs> Uh, in her three weeks in the condemned cell, she filled, it says five exercise books, but I would assume those are just like notebooks. Like a composition book? Yeah. Um, the Victorian version of a composition book. I guess. She filled five exercise books with her, quote, last true and only confession. Visited the night before her execution by the chaplain and asked if she had anything to confess, she offered him her exercise books saying, isn't this enough? Curiously, she was subpoenaed to appear as a witness in Polly's trial for murder, but that trial was set for a week after her own execution date. Mm-hmm. She would have already been dead. Yeah, so I guarantee what they did was the... Now, granted, for the time period, I don't know, but this sounds like some shit they would try now where they're like her lawyer and the other defense lawyer are trying to delay the execution. Yeah. So by putting the date for her to appear as a witness after they have to delay the execution. True. Uh, However, it was ruled that Amelia was already legally dead once sentenced and that therefore her evidence would be inadmissible. Thus her execution was not delayed. Damn. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. Basically like, we already decided she's going to die. Therefore, yeah, she, she's technically, going to die. she already did. She uh, dead in the eyes of the law. On the eve of her execution, Amelia heard that the charges against Polly had been dropped. Uh, she was hanged at Newgate Prison on Wednesday, June 10th uh, of 1896. Asked on the scaffold if she had anything to say, she said, I have nothing to say. Just before being dropped at 9 a.m. precisely. <laughs> Um, okay, so that's essentially it for okay. for that. Obviously, I, I always have little things after, so, but. She was raking in the money. Yeah. Essentially. What'd she do with all of it? Like, did any of that go back to the families of these kids or I anything? I doubt it. I doubt it. If anything, I would assume that, um, that. The, I don't want to say the state claimed it because it's not the same as like yeah. the U.S., but essentially the government, <laughs> the government. claimed it. Because I doubt her daughter like inherited that. Oh, probably not because it's uh, considered, was it? See, I don't know, though, because we're talking a different country, different time period. But it's like money earned off of a crime. So yeah. I know here that gets claimed by the, the government. If yeah, I don't, I don't actually have anything. Interesting. And that's that's assuming she had anything left. Left, she might yeah. Have just continually spent it. True, true, true. Okay. It is uncertain how many more children Amelia Dyer murdered. However, inquiries from mothers, evidence of other witnesses, and material found in Dyer's homes, homes plural, like where she had lived throughout, including letters and many baby, many babies' clothes, pointed to many more. Uh. The Dyer K 
case caused such a scandal she actually became known as the Ogress of Reading, and she inspired a popular ballad. Interesting. Which I'm not going to sing. Okay. Because I don't know the tune. I, I don't even want to say it. It's just... <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, subsequently, because of the whole scandal with Amelia Dyer, adoption laws were made stricter, giving local authorities the power to police baby farms in the hope of stamping out abuse. Despite this, and the scrutinizing of newspaper personal ads, the trafficking and abuse of infants did not stop. Two years after Dyer's execution, railway workers inspecting carriages at Newton Abbott, Devon, found a parcel. Inside was a three-week-old girl, uh, but though cold and wet, she was alive. Okay. The daughter... Uh, she was the daughter of a widow named Jane Hill, and the baby had been given to a Mrs. Stewart for 12 pounds. She had picked up the baby uh, at Plymouth and apparently dumped her on the next train. Damn. It has been claimed that Mrs. Stewart was Polly, the daughter of Amelia Oh, Dyer. no shit. Well, um, there's no proof. But there's no proof. Uh, and then the last little bit here, which is just kind of like a... It, it, there's zero factual okay. anything to it, but uh, because she was a murderer alive at the time of the Jack the Ripper killings, some have suggested that Amelia Dyer was Jack the Ripper, who killed the prostitutes through botched abortions. Uh, this suggestion was put forward by an author named William Stewart, although he preferred a woman named Mary Piercy as his chosen suspect. Uh, there is, however, no evidence to connect Dyer to the Jack the Ripper murders. Interesting. It is funny, though, that anybody alive at that time that remotely even targeted anything close pregnant to women a pregnant or... woman or a child, it's yeah. like, they might be Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Because like, like, it's come out that people, a lot of people think H.H. H. Holmes is Jack the Ripper. A lot of yeah. people think that she's Jack the Ripper. There's a lot. I do like the theory that Jack the Ripper was a woman. Woman. I, I do, do, too. I really, I really like that For theory. For me, it, it fits a lot better than it being a man. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It just, it just, the, the brute, granted, I mean, there are not a lot of women that are attributed with very violent crimes. So I can understand why we wouldn't immediately want to jump to a woman as Jack the Ripper. I 100% think it's, it was a woman. But yeah, it. Jackie the Ripper. That's what we call on her now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was interesting. Thanks. Really fucked up, but interesting. Well, yeah, I tend <laughs> Are you surprised? No. Not <laughs> at all. So, but yeah, I just... Interesting one. ...thought the whole thing was interesting. It's, it's very sad to me that baby farms... Were, were such a big thing. Yes. I mean, like I said, I'd heard, I didn't really know if baby farms were the same thing, but I guess what I'm thinking of are, I know like at the time, like I said, it was, it was, especially with like wealthy families, if their daughter got pregnant out of wedlock mm -hmm. to kind of send her away. Typically, That's... they'd be sent to like, I don't want to say like a convent, but they'd essentially be sent to somewhere where no one they knew would but much in the same vein of this they would usually stay there have the baby and then give the baby up 
Yes. And then come back. Yes. That's where I thought this was, uh, which I guess what I'm thinking of could be a variation of this. She, she just didn't do it that way. Uh, yeah. But. But yeah. Because didn't we do an episode or me and you talked about uh, a chick that did something like that? She had the pregnant women come to her place and then she would like kill the babies. Didn't we do an episode like one of our early episodes? That sounds really familiar. I don't remember. I don't know. You listen to so much damn true crime and history it all, stuff. It all just blends together. Yeah, same. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, that wraps this it. episode yeah. up. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> thank you for the depression. Um, if As you liked always, it. you're welcome. If you liked it, follow us on social media. All of our links are at dyingtoknow.simplecast.com. Or you can reach out to us directly at dyingtoknowcast at gmail.com. I had a... <laughs> brain fart there uh Which reminds me when was the last time we actually checked the email <laughs> it routes to my email oh does it mm-hmm. okay <laughs> yeah no i have a uh, blue mail set up to oh, route right. everything right. to my my phone okay um yeah catch us next week i'm doing a uh a weird one cult we're going culty again on episode 44 <laughs> you're like obsessed with the numbers now now I need, well now it's embarrassing. I was embarrassed. <laughs> we got done. I I was like editing the episodes. I went to go upload. I'm like Lindsay. She goes what? I go. We already that... have an episode <laughs> forty. <laughs> but it's whatever. Shit yeah. happens. You this was you episode forty three. Next yes. week is episode forty four. Okay. You know it's easy if we just don't say the episode number. We can't screw it up. It's too late. I've already said it. Well, several yeah. Times. I'm, I'm saying in the future. <laughs> So, all right. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. Okay. Okay. Love you. Bye.